welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. We spent the last two weeks walking through the Sermon on the Plain, and this is kind of an extension, although it's Transfiguration Sunday, and they fit nicely. Jesus had been teaching on the plane all these right-side-up ways of living in an upside-down world. Love your enemies, pray for those who hurt you, lend to those who ask, bless, to those, or bless those who curse. Don't judge, you won't be judged. Don't condemn, you won't be condemned. Forgive, you shall be forgiven. Seems simple enough, straightforward. But we struggle, I do. We struggle to live this way. Uh, to our friends and those whom we love and respect, sure, we can live like that most of the time. But to those who stand opposed to us, what we believe, how we live, we have a little work to do. Amen? But it's the journey that helps us learn and grow and mature. And I know in my just a few, few years of learning and growing and maturing, I've learned a lot. And I know... I have a lot to learn because some of you are on down the road from me and I can see you and how you process and how you respond and how you live into a calling that is a little beyond me. But I'll get there. We have faith in that. You may wonder when Jesus asks you to live like this, a very practical question would be why. Why live like that? I mean, can't I just be saved and then ask for forgiveness? That's what I used to think as a kid. If I just made it to Sunday, I could ask for forgiveness, and I was good. And all I had to do was survive to the next Sunday, and I was good. It's very sensible in this worldly point of view to not live as Jesus says. And so as we go into Lent, as we begin that process on Wednesday, I encourage us to hang on to this message and to the ways that we are falling short, the ways that we are maturing, the ways that we have grown and, and seek to grow. Today is Transfiguration Sunday. It always precedes Lent every year. The reason is because it's on that mountain that Jesus is glorified and turns his attention to the task at hand, going to Jerusalem, going there for his coming death and resurrection. He's standing on the mountain and he's looking to the future. His eyes are set and everything he does is going to take him there. And it gives a whole new meaning to every step of the process as he seeks to fulfill and be obedient to God in this way. His whole life lived up to that particular point was in this particular way, but the things about it change on that mountain. The change itself is peculiar, which is why we dedicate a Sunday to it. Eight days prior to this event, to this story, to what you will hear in the reading, Jesus had asked the disciples, who am I? Who do people say I am? And they gave answers. Who do you say I am? And we hear, Peter, you are God's Messiah. The Messiah of God. Finally, they're starting to get it. But even then, it's a loaded image, and they're not quite sure what that means. All their scriptures have been pointing to what the Messiah was to do, the purpose of the Messiah. Human beings in the original beginning were intended to be the image of God and be as God for creation in that special task. And human beings chose to live upside down almost from the get-go. God's people have always known the calling. We know it. We know we're supposed to be the image of God as a whole people. 
for the rest of the world to see, to love, to pray, to lend, to bless, to not judge, to not condemn, to always forgive. We're to be the vessel through which people of the earth see what God is all about, living in relationship with God and with each other in this great harmony. Jesus knew that the right-side-up work in the world is not going to go well because the world's upside down. And so he told them what's going to happen. I'm the Messiah, you're right, he says, and now I must go to Jerusalem and undergo suffering, rejection, death, and then I'll be raised on the third day. The mission of the Messiah was clear to him, but not the disciples. It should have been from the scripture, but it wasn't just yet. And sometimes it isn't for us. They had a different idea of what the Messiah was to do. And if we're honest, so do we. Change was coming to the world in Jesus and to his disciples. Let's hear from the passage and then talk about what we read. About eight days after Jesus said these things, he took Peter, John, and James and went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes flashed like white, like lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, were talking with him. They were clothed with heavenly splendor and spoke about Jesus' departure, which he would achieve in Jerusalem. Peter and those with him were almost overcome by sleep, but they managed to stay awake and saw his glory as well as the two men with him. As the two men were about to leave Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good that we're here. We should construct three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But he didn't know what he was saying. Peter was still speaking when a cloud overshadowed them. As they entered the cloud, they were overcome with awe. Then a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Even as the voice spoke, Jesus was found alone. They were speechless and at the time told no one what they had seen. The next day, when Jesus, Peter, John, and James had come down from the mountain, a large crowd met Jesus. A man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to take a look at my son, my only child. Look, a spirit seizes him, and without any warning, he screams. It shakes him and causes him to foam at the mouth. It tortures him and rarely leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to throw it out, but they couldn't. Jesus answered, You faithless and crooked generation, how long will I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him down and shook him violently. Jesus spoke harshly to the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. Everyone was overwhelmed by God's greatness. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So you see this story as sandwiched between recognition of the right thing, Messiah of God, but misunderstanding of what that is. Recognition that Jesus has power, but lack of understanding on how to be a part of that as a disciple. And in the middle stands a recognition of something and a misunderstanding as well. It's as if the gospel writer is trying to tell us something, repeating the same thing. It's such a peculiar image, picturing the transfiguration. Scripture says his face changed in appearance. 
What does that mean? Did he look different to the disciples from that day forward? Did his countenance drop? Maybe he was kind of happy-go-lucky and then he saw Jerusalem and his face changed. Or maybe it was the other way. He's frustrated. I don't know how long I can deal with you people. And then he sees that the end is coming, the end he set out to be a part of. I don't know. Something looked different. His clothes even. It's a wonder they recognized him. And then two people were with him. So if you can imagine the disciples drifting to sleep and suddenly Jesus changes appearance, now two people are with them. It's a wonder they even knew what was happening at all. Wouldn't we all be kind of in this slump having seen that all of a sudden be fully awake? You might wonder if you were in a dream. It'd be startling. Jesus looked different, his clothes and his face. Elijah and Moses there. I imagine they rubbed their eyes. Are you seeing that? Jesus, Elijah, and Moses, we have Elijah and Moses representing the law and the prophets. They discuss Jesus' departure. It's an interesting discussion. They just arrived. Jesus had discussed his departure with the disciples, what he is going to Jerusalem to do. And as the Messiah, he was to suffer, be rejected, killed, and then raised. The word departure here in the Greek is exodon. You may recognize that word, exodus. Jesus had good mentors an understanding in Exodus. Both men knew what it was to have a calling on your lives that completely changed everything and flipped everything and upended it all. Who they had been, what they were about, and what they were going to do, and what they thought they were capable of changed. It turned their worlds, and now it's Jesus' turn. It's Jesus' Exodus. It's the Exodus of us all, as it turns out. Through Jesus, God's Messiah, God's full image bearer, we would go from being people enslaved to sin in the upside-down way of living, empowered by the Spirit itself into right-side-up living. This is coming. Humanity was about to be upended. What he spends the rest of the gospel heading towards is that moment of complete upending, the arrival of the kingdom, the changing of the world. The whole world will be led out of slavery. That's big. And we use that language, and we're familiar with it, but what exactly does it mean? We know that loving and giving and blessing and forgiving enemies, it's possible, but don't we just find it impossible to do in the moment? We, we know what we want to do, what we should do, and maybe even in our heart, we're ready, but our mind, have you ever just found it so hard to say the words, I'm sorry? I forgive you. The world will be upended and we'll be able to do these things. Now you can imagine if your home suddenly flipped over, there would be some chaos. Or if you have some six-year-olds and a three-year-old, it always looks like that. Things would fall and resettle in the house. The space would be in total disarray. Nothing would be where it should have been. And if you were in the house, you'd be full of bumps and bruises. Everything would be chaotic. Jesus is headed toward the exodus in which the whole world is going to flip over. Things are going to move and shift and fall. There will be bumps and bruises. It's as if Peter senses the bigger change coming and he sees it in this glory moment and he wants to hold on to the good. He wants to enshrine it, encapsulate it, freeze it. Let's stay here a while. We don't want change. 
He wants to camp in the moment of glory, and why wouldn't he? But then the presence of God shows up in a cloud, if you can imagine it. In that moment, suddenly a cloud appears. The glory goes to terror, and God speaks, This is my son, the chosen. Listen to him. The exclamation is in the Greek. Listen to him. It's as if God grabs the disciples' full attention, grabs them by the, by the robe collar, and says, Hey, snap out of it. Listen. The beautiful and glorified moment swirls into darkness in a cloud. They go to, from awestruck to terror. Then God grabs them. This is my son. Listen to him. We need that message, don't we? In that moment where we know what we need to do, but we're having trouble to do it, we need God to say, hey, will you just listen to my Messiah? It took the disciples some time to unpack this moment, which is why they didn't say anything for a while. Jesus was going to Jerusalem to suffer, be rejected, die, and be raised, to upend the world, to upend their lives. The exodus of the world was coming. And this passage, this scene, always precedes Lent. We are to prepare to enter the season of Lent, where we intentionally enter into a time where we upend ourselves. That's why we take on habits and new things. We do things different. We change our rhythm. It takes dozens of years to get to the big ultimate change and upending, doesn't it? That's why we do it every single year, because we need it every single year. We're on the journey toward Jerusalem, upending our own lives. Have you prepared for Lent? I'm giving you a few days' notice. I want you to prepare. We're headed for change, for a transfiguration. What will your change be? Part of this process is up to you. If you don't want to be right side up, chances are you won't. You may think you can stop change, though. You can't. We live in a world of change. Every time you turn around, something has changed. Amen? Even if we ignore it, doesn't change the fact that we live in a reality of constant change. We all try to stop it and resist it, shut it down, but it comes nonetheless. You get to decide not whether things change, but how the change will affect you. You can let Jesus the Messiah guide you by listening to him, or you can resist. Maybe you know of some exact ways you need change in your life, and maybe you have an idea of what Lent could bring you. Maybe you're struggling with something, something you know not to be right in your life. And this applies to anyone of any age. You're upside down. Maybe it's a person that you're having trouble with. Maybe it's a desire. Maybe it's what you're choosing to invest yourself in. Maybe it's just a thought that you have about something or people. Maybe you're wanting to stay enshrined in a life that seems nice and, and lovely and glorified. We don't want to forgive those whom we don't agree with. We'll forgive those who we do, and we'll just hang on to that. Or maybe you want to encapsulate your condemnation and judgment of others. The world began its right-side-up, upended movement 2,000 years ago, and maybe even began on that mountain where Jesus was transfigured when everything changed. This upending continues today, which means we're going to see chaos and mess around us. We see those who refuse to change, who only pursue the upside-down way of condemnation, judgment, withholding blessing. But we also see beauty 
We see love. We see life emerging. Amen? We could see these two sides in our own lives and in our own hearts. Listen to Jesus, the chosen one. He will lead you into the change of your own life. Don't fall asleep. Don't refuse the change. Don't resist the glory that God has for you too. Allow this day where you will fully fix your eyes on your destination, where you want to end up. A life lived right alongside Jesus every step of the way. Amen? I get a hallelujah. We don't get to say that in Lent, so let's get the hallelujahs out. A life lived in grace and love and forgiveness with everyone around you, blessings, abundance. Hallelujah. Amen. So my friends, we prepare for Wednesday. Spend the next few days in prayer. Really pray. Think about what you can fast from. Not to trim some inches around the waist, although that's always a good thing. What will help you focus daily? What will upend your routine that you don't fall asleep? What will remind you regularly to spend time focusing on where this is all headed? Where you're invited into an exodus? Pick something that will challenge you every single day, except Sundays. You get Sundays off. What will help you stay awake? What will alter your habits? What will help you tear down the tents of encampment and enshrinement that you need to let go of? So I invite you in the next few days, pray. Read the Sermon on the Plain in Luke 6 and stay awake. Let Jesus Christ lead you into a right-side-up life so that several weeks from now, we may stand at the foot of the cross with our hearts in full connection with God's love, that we may gaze at the empty tomb with our hearts in full joy of exodus. What have you got to lose in this change? Only that which didn't belong. And what have you got to gain? Everything that sets you free. Amen? Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.